Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. that there's more scriptures than normal. We're going to look at a lot of verses in the Bible this morning, so uh, grab your outline. We are going to follow along there. Um, we are in a few weeks of a series called All In, where we're kind of resetting expectations and kind of getting on the same page of what it looks like to be a church family, what it looks like to belong to uh, a church uh, locally. What does it look like for us to be all in, to be invested in something together? And so for a few f- moments today, we're going to be looking at many different scriptures. We'll begin in Ephesians chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the New Testament or you can look at the notes or maybe in the Bible app. It's important for us as a church to kind of get on the same page as we understand why are we here and what are we doing? Um, It's a good thing to ask ourselves. We have determined that our church will be a church that lives out an authentic faith, that develops healthy and strong relationships, and gives every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. In this statement, there are two values and one mission. We kind of unpacked those values last week. We talked about the fact that we will be a church that lives out an authentic faith. That means that on Sundays we worship and we sing praises to our Savior, that we worship together, that we pray, but that we also do those things throughout the rest of the week. In fact, if you were to look at our life the rest of the week, you would find evidence of our faith. I wonder if people just took a snapshot of your week and maybe they took one day of your week and it wasn't a Sunday and they just looked at your activities from the time that you woke up to the time that you went to bed, would there be evidence that says, oh, they have an authentic faith? I know that if you looked in my wastebasket in my office, you would find evidence of my diet. You would. I'm not going to tell you what's in there, but you would find evidence. There might be empty bags of chips. There might be pudding cups. There might be um, empty Ziploc bags where carrots used to be. There might be full Ziploc bags of where the carrots have gone bad, and they're now they're in the... There, there's just evidence in my wastebasket, right, of, of the kind of diet I have. So when people were to look at your snapshot of your life, what would it look like for them to have evidence of authentic faith? We want to be a church that lives out an authentic faith every day of the week. We also want to be a church that develops healthy and strong relationships. That means that over the course of our lifetime that we will do everything in our power to build healthy and strong relationships. It's interesting because when you build something healthy and strong, oftentimes there's, uh, there's difficulty in building that. There's difficulty in forgiving someone. There's difficulty in overcoming hurts and difficulties. Um, and it can be a painful process, but in the course of time, we build these healthy and strong relationships. Our healthy and strong relationships begin with our relationship with God. And vertically, our relationship with God will set the uh, tone and the example for how our relationships with one another look like. So healthy and strong relationships, and then a church, uh, this is our mission that gives every, opportu- every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. Uh, you and I were formed for God's family. 
The entire Bible is actually the story of God building a family of those who will love him, honor him, and reign with him forever. We begin Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. You can follow along in your notes or on the screen. It says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Boy, of all the things that Paul could describe that gave God great pleasure, it's comforting to know that part of what gave God great pleasure is to adopt us into his family. He says here God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family. It also describes this how? By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. The fact that God lived a sinless, perfect life through Jesus in human form that he, uh, that he lived on this earth, that he began a ministry, that he would call people to himself, that he would teach and he would heal, and then uh, one day would be betrayed. He would have to die on a cross. He would go through the pains of death so that we might have salvation. This is how God brought himself to us through Jesus Christ. Now, this is what he wanted to do, the verse says at the end. It gave him great pleasure. James says it this way, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That word first fruits indicates to us what became a prized possession. And so when we put our faith and trust in Christ, God becomes our father, we become his children, and other believers become our brothers and sisters. I want to say this as we begin, every human being was created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. Every human being was created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. You see, the scripture is very clear that the only way to get into God's family is by being born again into it. You become part of the human family by your first birth, and you become a member of God's family by your second birth. First Peter says it this way, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Galatians says it this way, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So our families on earth are this wonderful gift of God, but they're temporary and they're fragile. And how many of you understand that from time to time, our human families can be broken, right? Because we're broken. Now, on the other hand, our spiritual family, our relationships with other believers will continue throughout all eternity. And so when God has called us to is not only to believe, but he's also called us to belong. It's vitally important that we understand that we are called to belong. Even in the perfect, sinless environment of Eden, God looked at Adam and said, you know what, it's not good for Adam to be, what's that next word? Alone. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. The environment was perfect. It was God created. He, perfect, he, he, he uh, created Adam. And yet God recognized that it was not good for man to be alone. You and I are created for community. We are formed for family, 
And we cannot fulfill God's purposes all by ourselves. And so the Bible knows of this, and so um, he calls us. He declares that we are put together, that we are joined together, that we're built together, that we are heirs together, that we are fitted together, we're held together, we're caught up together. We are not on our own anymore. It's interesting because as we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we use the phraseology of having a personal relationship with God. And what we mean by that is that God is not impersonal to us. In fact, he made us known to us uh, through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, through the testimony of others. And while we have this personal relationship with God, the temptation for us is to keep our relationship with God not only personal, but private. Now there's a difference between having a personal relationship and a private relationship. And most of us will go through our life not only with a personal relationship, but also with the private relationship where the people around us don't really understand or know about our faith with God. They don't understand or maybe they don't know because you don't let them in and you keep that area of your life private. And while our relationship with God is to be personal, it is never intended to be private. And so when we think about membership, when we think about a church family, uh, first of all, when we think of membership, there's other kinds of memberships that might come to mind, right? Uh, There's gym memberships. Uh, There's store memberships. There's subscriptions, right, to Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu. Um, It's interesting because the actual word membership is Christian in origin. It started within the context of the church and with Christianity. But for whatever reason, we've reduced membership to simply adding your name to a role with no requirements or no expectations. And similar to our Netflix subscription, if we feel like taking a month off, we'll just hit pause and take a month off. And yet the, Paul, the Apostle Paul describes the church, he described, he described the church, I should say, as being a vital organ of a living body, indispensable and interconnected with the body of Christ. Church, the church is a body, not a building. It is an organism, not an organization. We need to remind ourselves of this sometimes, don't we? Where the church itself is a body. The organs of your body, um, to fulfill their purpose, they must be connected to our body. And the same is true for you as a part of the body of Christ. You discover your role in life through your relationship with others. Uh, Look at what Paul says in Romans. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4 and 5 says this. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other bodies. So if an organ is somehow severed from our body, it shrivels and it dies. It cannot exist on its own. And Paul is using the same word picture to talk about each one of us. If we remove ourselves from the body of Christ and we think we're going to live this holy, private, Christian life all by ourselves, 
we will shrivel and die, spiritually speaking. John Donne said it this way, that no man is an island. We cannot live every one of ourselves only unto ourselves. We live in the context with other people. So this is why the first symptom of many people when they spiritually decline is usually consistent uh, with their time away from gatherings. I will be uh, perfectly candid with you that the moments I have felt the most um, distant for long periods of time have coincided with my absence from church gatherings. I think most of you can fall back and think about your own life. That when you are distant from regular gatherings, it creates a void in your life that allows you to be accountable to only yourself. And I know for me that when I was not in regular gatherings with other Christians, in regular gatherings with worship, uh, regular gatherings with teaching from Scripture and with prayer, I myself found myself being distant from God. And so oftentimes the first symptom of spiritual decline in someone's life is this inconsistent gathering with other believers. So so before we go any further, Paul gives us uh, four reasons uh, why uh, it's important to belong to a church. Um, Scripture gives us many compelling reasons for us being committed and active in a church. And so today we're going to look at four reasons. And hopefully this serves as a reminder for some an encouragement to others, and for a few of you, perhaps, persuasive evidence. Reminders for some of you on why you were a part of this church. Um, encouragement to fulfill your role, and for some of you, persuasive evidence on why you should commit to a local gathering of believers. By the way, I am not naive enough to think that everyone should belong to our church. Because I know our church. And we are unique We are comprised of unique individuals and families, and we are broken just like any other church. We're comprised of broken human beings trying to make the most of our Christian life. And so I am not naive enough to say that our church should be the place where everyone joins. But if God is speaking to your heart, then you need to respond. And if this is not the local gathering, then you need to belong somewhere. But four reasons this morning why belonging to a church uh, matters. I would say, number one, belonging to a church identifies you as a genuine believer. Belonging to a church identifies you as a genuine believer. Uh, John 13 says it this way. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look at verse 35. By this everyone Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Read the rest of the verse with me. If you love. Yeah. It is really difficult for others to identify you as a genuine believer if you're never in a context where you get to love one another. You have to be in relationship with other Christians. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. We cannot claim to be following Christ if we're not committed to any specific group of disciples. When we come together in love as a church family from different backgrounds, races, and social status, it becomes a powerful witness to the world. Uh, Later in John, Christ said this while he was praying. He was praying this prayer in John 17, and part of his prayer was this, 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world might believe you have sent me. When we come together as a church family in love, you represent the body of Christ because you are not the body of Christ on your own. And when you determine in your heart that you will not gather with other believers and that you won't fellowship with other church folks uh, and that you won't be part of a local gathering, what you are saying is this, I am enough to comprise the body of Christ. That I'm enough. That the parts of the body of Christ can be summed up in myself. And yet we understand that it is only together, not separated, we are his body. So... Um, Reason number one, belonging to a church identifies you as a genuine believer. Uh, number two, belonging to a church is where we learn how to live in harmony with others. The church becomes the classroom for learning how to get along. Isn't that great? So you say, well, I disagree with some people at church. That's church. Because we're all different. You say, well, I don't always agree with, um, with everything that... that, that uh, that everyone else agrees with, well, this is church. This is, this is what it means to begin understanding what it looks like to love one another, to have grace with another, to practice unselfishness, and to sympathize with others in love. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It is only in regular contact with ordinary, imperfect believers that we can learn real fellowship and experience the New Testament truth of being connected and dependent on each other. Going to church with people you disagree is going to church. Being the church with people you disagree with is part of being the church. Now, I will say this, there are fundamentals of the faith that our church will not divert from. The truths that we found in Scripture, those are essential truths that we will not depart from. But whether or not we, uh, we agree on everything, well, not everything is worth dividing over. And as Christians, we end up uh, exercising some spiritual maturity, some spiritual muscle, if you will. And with God's help and the Holy Spirit's help, he helps us identify what those truths are that are non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is God is a non-negotiable in our church. The fact that he is God in the flesh. The fact that he died on the cross and uh, that we identify with him for salvation, that's a non-negotiable. But there's going to be other things in our church that we might differ on. And that's okay. Um, 1 John 3.16 says it this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And the verse keeps going. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Part of what John is, um, is unpacking here in 1 John chapter 3 is the definition of love is first defined by who Jesus is and what he did for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And in response, as we love one another and we love the folks in our church, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
So God expects us to give our lives for each other. So as we think about why being part of a church family, why belonging to a church matter, it identifies you as a genuine believer. It is where we learn to live in harmony with others. But thirdly this morning, belonging to a church helps you grow. If all you do is attend church, you will not grow spiritually, but it's in the participation of being the church that we build spiritual muscle. Uh, Ephesians 4 says it this way, Ephesians chapter 4, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as each of us develops our spiritual muscle, as each of us grows and builds ourselves up in love, each one of us does our part. That phrase, each other or one another, depending on your translation, is used over 50 times in the New Testament. 50 times we're called to do different things to one another. We're called to love one another. We're called to pray for each other. We're called to encourage each other, to admonish each other. We are called to greet one another. If you see someone in the store from our church, you're called to greet them. You ever find yourself just avoiding someone in public? Because you got things to do, or maybe you, didn't, you just wore your pajamas to church, or you, your pajamas to the store, or you're, just, you're, you're not done up, and your hair's not, maybe not your hair, but something else is not done up, and you avoid people. I want, you to, I want you to put yourself in the position of the person that saw you avoid them. What kind of feelings do you have right now if someone avoided you? Yeah, this is important to greet one another. He says we should serve one another, to teach one another, uh, to accept one another to honor one another, to bear each other's burdens, to forgive one another, to submit to each other, to be devoted to each other. These are your family responsibilities, and you fulfill these through the local church. So what does it look like for us to do this? Well, it means we get involved in each other's lives. The lie we tell ourselves is that it is easier for us to be holy when we live isolated lives. This is false. The isolation breeds deceitfulness and arrogance. Real maturity shows up in relationships. It is not easy. It is not hard. But as we said last week, we are called to something higher. Paul tells the church at Colossae and he tells us, if you're risen with Christ, we get to seek those things which are above. The standard by which we live with one another and have relationship with one another is much higher than if we were not in Christ. And so it's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we're mature if there's no one there to challenge us. Yet we grow faster and stronger by learning from one another and being accountable to each other. And when others share what God is teaching with them, we grow and we learn the body of Christ, our body, needs you. And God has a unique role for you to play in this family. And this is called your ministry. And it doesn't come easy and it doesn't come 
overnight, but over time, God will begin using the talents and resources he's gifted you with, your personality, your unique set of characteristics, and all of a sudden, there's a way that you end up finding that you can bless people, and you serve people, and this becomes your ministry. Not every one of us, could you imagine if all of us just got up and started teaching on a Sunday morning? It'd be chaos. Can you imagine if we all got up here and started singing for worship to an empty auditorium? It wouldn't make sense. We're called to serve and to, uh, to, to serve the body of Christ in all these unique different ways. And sometimes it doesn't come naturally. Sometimes it doesn't come quickly. Yet God has a unique role for you to play in his life. And this is called your ministry. The church ends up being the place God designed for you to discover, to develop, and use your gifts so, the church, belonging to a church helps you grow. Fourthly, this morning, belonging to a church keeps you from being distant from God. Church, given the right situation, you and I are capable of sinning. God knows this, so he has assigned us as individuals the responsibility of encouraging one another and keeping one another on track. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, there's a uh, very important verse when you think about attending and being the local church. He says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Everyone say today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I also put this verse in the different translation so you could see another context. The first, uh, the first verse, let me show it to you, the first verse. The first verse talks about encouraging one another so that we wouldn't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This other translation takes those same Greek words and they extrapolate a different emphasis and they say to warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You know, if someone checks on you and the first thing in your heart, uh, your heart that you want to respond is mind your own business. Yeah. Or how dare you ask me? Or why would you ask me? This is evidence that perhaps you're being deceived by sin and therefore being hardened against God. See, we are called and commanded to be involved in each other's lives. We're called and commanded to be involved in each other's lives. And yet there's some days where we just probably wake up and we go through life and we probably think, this is probably just easier if I do this on my own. It's easier if I don't have all these other people in my life. Yet we need one another. James says it this way, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. You see, part of this accountability comes in the form of spiritual protection by godly leaders. In a few weeks, we'll unpack what it means to be an elder here at First Christian Church and what are their responsibilities and roles. We'll talk about what being a shepherd means. 
But God gives us these shepherd leaders the responsibility to guard and protect and defend and care for the spiritual welfare. But later in this series, we'll see uh, just what that looks like in the structure of our eldership. Yet, the emphasis here on belonging to a church family, preventing us from being distant from God, is this. Satan loves detached believers. He loves for you to be unplugged from the life of the body, isolated from God's family, unaccountable to anyone else but yourself, because he knows that we're, when we're in this position, we are defenseless and powerless against his tactics. Whenever a child is born, he or she automatically becomes a part of the family of human beings. We become part of the human race when we're born, but that child also needs to become members of specific family to receive nurture and care and the necessary components to grow up healthy and strong. Here's the thing. The same is true spiritually. When we are born again, we are part of God's children, and yet each of us also need to be a part of a local group of people, a local family that will set up the environment for you to grow and to be spiritually thriving. You automatically become a part of God's family across the world when you become born again, but you also need to become members of a local expression of God's family. The difference between being a church attender and a church member is commitment. And attenders are spectators from the sideline. Members get involved and are invested. Attenders are consumers and members are contributors. And tenders enjoy the benefits of the church without sharing the responsibility. And yet joining in church provides an opportunity for you to express your faith with other people relationally. Next Sunday, we're privileged to have Baptism Sunday, and we have uh, not one but two of our people getting baptized next Sunday, and we get to celebrate with them. But in addition to that, uh, we get to cheer them on in this step of their faith, and we get to see what it looks like for someone to express their faith. And then we also have a family that is joining our church family, and so we get to rejoice with them as well. You can spend a lifetime searching for the perfect search, or for the perfect church, and you will not find it. We're called to love imperfect sinners, just as Christ did. And this Christian life is more than just a commitment to Christ, it includes a commitment to other Christians. 2 Corinthians 8 is interesting. 2 Corinthians 8 is the last scripture we'll use this morning, and Paul is talking about the church of Macedonia, and he's talking about many different characteristics that that church had. And he describes it this way. They did more than we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. You see, you become a Christian by becoming committed, committing yourself to Christ, but yet you become part of a church by committing yourself to a specific group of believers. The first decision brings salvation. The second brings fellowship within a local context. There's many reasons why people have a hard time committing to a church. 
Um, first of all, we're really good at hurting our own people. We're really good at that. For some reason, we have not been, we have not modeled or shown what forgiveness and restoration looks like. And so oftentimes in a church setting, the reason why people have a hard time committing is because they've had a failed relationship with another church. And so attending church becomes really uh, much more preferential because you can attend and then you can stop attending and then you can find another church and as soon as the, uh, the music isn't up to par, as soon as the preacher is off their rocker, which in some cases way sooner than later, as soon as someone offends you, it's easier for you to not commit. And the standard by which Christ asks us to be part of the church, way back in John 13, one of the first verses we looked at is this. Um, this is how you're going to know, how the world will know that you're disciples, by your love for one another. I think it's fascinating that Jesus never, in this context, didn't say that, that the world will know you by your love for me. Isn't that, isn't that kind of shocking? That the standard by which Jesus and God says that the world will recognize who you are is not necessarily your love for God, but your love for one another. Because your love, the grace and mercy that you extend to other imperfect beings, is how Christ lived when he was on the earth. He went out of his way to show people they were loved. I love reading the Gospel of John because in John chapter 3 there's the conversation of Nicodemus and Jesus and it's, it's such an awesome um, conversation and, and I, wish I, could, I wish I knew a little bit more about Nicodemus. I wish I knew a little bit more of his backstory as he came to Christ in the middle of night and who knows maybe why he did that. Maybe he was embarrassed and he didn't want other people to know that he was coming to Jesus. Maybe it was because uh, it was the only free time that Jesus had. Jesus was busy when he began his ministry. But in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And just like we talked about today, that you're born into the human race, you need to be born into the family of God. And so Jesus walks Nicodemus through what it looks like to be born again. And Nicodemus can't wrap his mind around it. And then we get to that pivotal verses in verse 16 and 17, the famous verses that we know. And he says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. For Christ sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And it's this beautiful, beautiful declaration that God loves everyone. And then in chapter 4, Jesus begins to demonstrate what it means to love everyone. And the definition of loving everyone means you love the person right in front of you. So in John chapter 4, he goes out of his way to go to Samaria, and he finds a woman at the well that the Jewish people would immediately consider outsiders, immediately consider people we would not fellowship with, we would not even spend the same time. How you got your water from the same well that a Samaritan would. She was there at the middle of the day, which was the hottest portion of the day, because she wasn't welcome at the other portions 
of the day. And I love that Jesus, right on the heels of his discussion with Nicodemus, says, God loves everyone, and the way he demonstrates that is by loving the person right in front of him. And Jesus told to, was, uh, chose to tell a woman who was not valued in her day, who was considered an outsider, and revealed himself as the Son of God to a woman in Samaria. You go all through the book of John, and Jesus, over and over and over again, just loves the person right in front of him. If, if, if committing to a local gathering of people is, is causing you some angst, let me challenge you this way. Your love for God, your love for everyone, starts with the people right in front of you. It starts really with the people right in front of you. And if we as a church family would pursue with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, if we would go all in on living an authentic faith, developing healthy, strong relationships, and giving every person the opportunity to meet Jesus, we just loved each other as the church, as God loved the church. The community, the promise in Scripture is this. The community would recognize our faith by how we love one another. So when someone's in need, we step up. When someone needs encouragement, we step up. When we have resources and someone else needs them, we're generous because we're called and we love one another. Today is like a uh, resetting of expectations for what it looks like to be the church. And there's some reasons why being part of the family of God is important. Reason number one is because it identifies you as a genuine believer. Boy, if you were a believer today and you were not connected to a local church, I would just loving you, lovingly remind you this is where God has called you to do, to commit to being part of a church. Whether it's here or somewhere else, there's a church that God wants you to be invested being part of a local church is where we learn how to live in harmony with others. It helps you grow. And being part of a church keeps you from being distant from God. Let's take a moment and let's reflect on these. Can I pray for you? Would you bow your heads for a moment? We're going to just take some time and reflect on what we've heard, what we've read out of Scripture, and how the Holy Spirit is leading you right now. Boy, we are called not only to believe, but to belong. And so this morning, a few questions to help you think through what it means to be part of a local church family. Let's start here. Have you been born into God's family? Has there been a time in your life like Nicodemus where you heard the truth of Scripture and you were given the opportunity to respond and be born again into God's family? Has there been a time in your life where you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? Where you've proclaimed him Lord of your life? And you embraced him for who he is. Acts says there's neither any other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. For the 
wages, the price of our sin, is death. But the gift of God, it's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our love, our Lord. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I would encourage you today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, let today be the day of salvation. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you, and have a beautiful day.